0: As we get back to our, our short series about ordinary people doing extraordinary things to the power of God. And as you turn there, I want us to pause and pray just for a moment. So when you find that place in the Bible, just put your finger there, put a piece of paper, your bulletin there. And let's just pause for just a moment of prayer. And as as we pray this morning, pray for the person to your left and to your right. You know, they might be going through a storm right now. And the only one who realizes it is God in them. Just pray that they might realize, as Kent's saying, that. The anchor holds Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Lift that person up to your left and to your right. Pray that God might show himself to be always faithful. He always is. Pray that that person will always understand that and realize it. And pray for the person that, regardless of what they're going through, that they might look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Pray for yourself right now. Maybe you're in the midst of that storm of life. Ask God to give you His sufficient grace. You know, God says, my grace is sufficient for you. God doesn't promise to keep us out of the storms. But he promises to go through the storms with us. Thank God for what he is doing in your life. And then pray for our church. Pray that God would use our church in a more effective way, in a greater way than he ever has. Pray for the construction, the completion of the construction next door. Pray that it will be completed in God's time and that it would be a door An open door to this community to hear the word of God, to be taught. Where families can worship together, where children can be taught the truths of the word of God. So pray for all those who are building, all those who are doing all this work. Just lift them up in prayer. And then pray that God would supply all the needs that this project requires. Pray that God would do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this moment of prayer. And we just pray, Heavenly Father, that you will just take your word this morning and use it in ways that only you can. We pray that the Holy Spirit of God will be our teacher. For we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. The twelfth chapter of Acts, chapters 1 through 17. Let's stand together for the reading of God's word. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him saying, Get up quickly and the chains fell off his hands. The angel said to him, dress yourselves and put on your sandals, and he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him and did not know know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, And he realized, when he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhonda came to, came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice and her, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it's his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. May God bless the reading of his holy word. You may be seated. Some of you were asking, do we still have more Bible reading plans that I shared a few weeks ago? Yes, we do. Up there on the table, right here in this room, on the table to my left. There are several of them still there. Please get as many as you need, and I hope that you will use those because we certainly need to be in the Word of God. Amen. You know, our story takes place during the Feast of Passover there in Jerusalem. It's the same time of the year when Jesus was arrested and crucified. These events happened around 44 A.D., About 12 years after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. The church had been growing leaps and bounds during these 12 years. Spreading out into the regions of Judea and Samaria and into the land of the Gentiles. God was at work. Yet often during these fruitful seasons of ministry, this is the time that the enemy strikes hard and fast and that's exactly what happens here God's at work and so is Satan Satan attacks the church with furious rage you can see in verses 1 and 2 again about that time Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church he killed James the brother of John with the sword now what about this King Herod This King Herod was King Agrippa, the grandson of the King Herod that we're all familiar with who killed the the infant baby boys at the time of Jesus' birth. This Herod is nothing more than a puppet king put in power by Rome because of his friendship with Caesar. He reigns over the regions of Judea and Samaria in Israel. Now, this Herod is a cruel, murderous man like all the, all the Herods in his family. All he cares about is protecting his throne at all costs. He wipes out all those. He sees as a potential threat, even the members of his own family. To gain favor with the Jews, he begins to persecute the church. He throws many in prison. He beheads James the brother of John, and you remember them, the sons of Zebedee, sons of thunder. And this murder of James really shocks the church. And and to make matters worse, now he goes after Peter too. Look at verse 3. And when he, that is Herod, saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. And this was during the days of unleavened bread. Now, it was Herod's intention all the time to kill Peter too. But he had to wait until the feast of the Passover was over. Uh, This feast um, was a very important feast in Jewish history and Jewish life. There could be no trials. There could be no executions during this period of time. But once the feast is over you know, it's good by Peter as far as Herod was concerned. Now Luke gives us the details of exactly what happens in verse 4. It says, and when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. And of course, the purpose was to bring him out to the people, have some, you know, um, kangaroo court type of trial, and then Put him to death as he put to death uh, James. Peter is guarded, we read, by a squad of four soldiers at all times. Two of these soldiers are chained to Peter by the wrists. And two soldiers are standing guard outside his cell. There isn't a moment during the day that he is not guarded by these Roman soldiers. Now, in addition to that, there are two iron gates securing Peter. One at his prison cell, the other this massive gate at the entrance of the prison leading out to the street. This is a maximum security prison. There, there's no way possible, humanly speaking, for Peter to escape. No human possibility at all. But nothing is impossible with God. You know, we, we read that all the way through. The word of God, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Listen to what God says in Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 17. Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 17. Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Just a few verses after that, verse 27. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh, is anything too hard for me. And then, of course, Jesus, he said something very similar in Luke chapter 18, verse 27. Jesus said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. See, the word impossibility, the word impossible is not even in God's vocabulary god is the god of the impossible but something else is going on that luke wants us to know about in verse 5 it says so peter was kept in prison but notice what was going on earnest prayer for him was made to god by the church so on the one hand peter is in prison but the church is praying on one hand Peter is bound, but prayers are loosed. (laughs) The church is praying for Peter. Never underestimate the power of prayer. Never underestimate what God will do when his people get serious about prayer. Now, prayer is a top priority for our church this year and beyond. In fact, I believe it is the number one priority for us as a church. If we do nothing else as a church, we must pray. And the reason is simple. It really is. It's simple. Nothing of eternal value will happen apart from prayer. Nothing of eternal value will happen apart from prayer we will never experience the power of God and the presence of God as he desires for us to experience apart from prayer. Now, in our story, we see what prayer can do. Just ordinary people, an ordinary church there in Jerusalem, and God using that ordinary church to do extraordinary things. The great Puritan preacher, Thomas Watson, he's quoted as saying, the angel fetched Peter out of the prison, but it was prayer that fetched the angel. I like that. I like that. The angel fetched Peter, but it was prayer that fetched the angel. Now, the church is shaken to its core with the death of James. You can imagine, you know, how they felt. And now Peter is arrested, and, and they believe the same is going to happen to him. He's going to experience the very same fate. And I'm sure they were thinking, what in the world is going on in our church? What's going to become of our church? Herod killed James, and now he's after Peter, and he wants to kill him. All the church could do is pray. That's it. That's all they could do is pray. You know, so often we feel the same way, don't we? In times of crisis, all we can do is pray. When a loved one gets sick, maybe seriously sick, gets cancer, all we can do is pray. When a son or daughter is far from God and it's, it's just breaking your heart... <laughs> All we can do is pray, but prayer is the most important thing we can possibly do. Now, see, when things look hopeless, friends, there's hope with God. God goes to work when his people pray. So Peter is facing certain death, but, verse 5, verse 5, but earnest prayer for him was being made to God by the church. I want you to look at that that little word earnest just for a moment. It suggests the idea of straining in prayer. Being urgent in prayer. Agonizing in prayer. Have you ever prayed like that? Straining in prayer? Urgent in your prayer life? Have you ever prayed like that? I'll never forget one of my trips to India. Several years ago, my host pastor invited me to a prayer gra- gathering where uh, several um, pastors, national Indian pastors, and believers were were having a prayer meeting and folks i 've never experienced earnest prayer like that before. Those believers were crying out to God they were crying out to God for boldness to be able to go into their villages and share the gospel with the lost people there. Now, after about an hour of praying, my back was about to break. My knees were aching. And I guess the host pastor realized my discomfort, and he kind of tapped me on the shoulder and said, Pastor, I know you're tired. Why don't you leave and get some rest? And I whispered to him, I said, well, how long is this prayer meeting going to go on? He said, all night. All night. That's really what's going on in this story. This church is earnestly praying for Peter, and it's an all-nighter. They are earnestly, they're crying out to God for Peter. If you have a close friend who is facing certain death in a foreign prison for sharing his faith, how would you pray? That's the way this church is praying for Peter. They are on their knees crying out to God for Peter's release. We all have loved ones who are lost without Christ. They're not facing physical death, but they're facing spiritual death eternal death, being separated from God for all eternity in a terrible place called hell. You know, sometimes I I wonder if we really believe in hell. Sometimes I wonder if we really believe in hell. Oh, we say we do, but do we really? If we do, I believe we would pray more. Let me ask you, are you praying for your one daily are you praying for your one who is far from god or or is it just a a name on a cross are you praying never underestimate the power of prayer See, wasomassal baptist church must be a praying church it must be if nothing else happens this church must be a praying church Every service must be bathed in prayer. Every Sunday school class, every small group bathed in prayer. Every deacons meeting bathed in prayer. Every committee meeting bathed in prayer. Every choir practice bathed in prayer. Every team ministry meeting bathed in prayer. Why? Because God works in response to our prayers. Well, see, when we pray, we are acknowledging our dependence upon God. We're saying, I can't do it, but God, you can, and if it's going to happen, you must do it. I don't know what you're going through, my friend. I can't read your mind. But no matter how bleak your situation might be, no matter how hopeless things might seem to you, God is on his throne, and he can open prison doors, and he can set you free when you pray. When you pray. Well, it's zero hour. It's zero hour for Peter. It's D-Day. No question about it. The Passover is now over. Now, King Herod, according to the Jewish law, he is able to, to kill Peter like he killed James. Look at verse 6. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out to kill him, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. Now, I want you to notice something. This is the night before Peter is to be killed, and he's sleeping. You know, it kind of reminds me of Jesus in the boat. He was sleeping. Now, Peter is a, a, about, at least he thinks, maybe his head is going to be cut off. And he's sleeping, fast asleep. You know, put yourself in his shoes. If you were chained to two Roman soldiers facing execution the next day, what would you be doing? Well, I'm pretty sure I I know what I would be doing. I'd be overdosing with sleeping pills, probably. I'd I'd be tossing and and turning. I, I'd be making sure my my lawyers are out there seeking a, a stay of execution. I doubt if I would be sleeping, but Peter is sleeping like a baby, sleeping like a baby, sawing logs between two smelly Roman soldiers. So he has the peace that surpasses human understanding. I believe when Peter wasn't sleeping, he was singing, I've got peace like a river. I've got peace like a river. I've got peace like a river in my soul. What gave him that peace? You know, there's several possibilities. Um, Number one, he knew the church was praying for him. He believed in the power of prayer. He believed that God answers prayer. And Peter in that dark prison cell knew that the church was praying for him. And that gave him peace. You know, isn't isn't it a wonderful peace that God gives when you realize that someone is praying for you? I remember on the day of my ordination... Um, an older gentleman walked up to me and he said Norman I want you to know something that I'm going to pray for you every day until I die I'm telling you some of the during some of those dark days in ministry it it brought me a lot of peace to know that um, Paul Rep. Alderman is praying for me he's praying for me I'm sure that brought him peace also, Peter probably remembered Jesus' words to him that suggested that he would die an old man by being crucified. I'm sure his mind went back to that day on the Sea of Galilee when the risen Christ spoke to him and said these words in John chapter 21, verse 18. When you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands And another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. That's a possibility. But I believe the main reason Peter had peace in the midst of the storm that he was going through is because he was confident. (laughs) He was confident that God was on his throne and God was in control of his life no matter what might happen. see, I believe Peter is like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego facing the fiery furnace. God is going to deliver me one way or the other, either from death or through death. I believe he believed that. Well, when God's people go to prayer, God goes to work. Look what happens in verses 7 and 8. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the stale. And he struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And, and the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. Oh, I love this story. During the early morning hours, just before peter's scheduled execution an angel of the lord enters that prison and the prison cell fills with heavenly light I, oh i would have loved to have been there and the angel gave him a, a kick in the ribs and to wake him up and the angel gives peter a series of commandments Get up quickly, and immediately his chains fell off. Get dressed, put on your sandals, put your coat on, and follow me. In verse 9 it says, And he went out and followed him, and did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. (laughs) Oh, he was dazed. He was confused. You know, he was one of those kind of stupid wake-ups that we all have from time to time, not knowing what was going on, thinking it was some vision or a dream. He follows the angel out of the prison in verse 10, and when they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to an iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them on its own accord, and they went out and went along uh, one street, and immediately the angel left him. Can't you just picture Peter? You know, he wakes up and the angel gives all of these commands. And, you know, I can picture Peter stepping over these two soldiers that were guarding him. They were still sawing logs, walking past the two, two guards outside the cell. And then seeing this massive iron gate swing wide open and walking right out onto the street outside. And then poof, the angel is gone. Oh, his work's done. <laughs> the angel's work is done. Verse 11, and when Peter came to himself, he finally realized what was happening. He says, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel to rescue me from the hand of, uh, the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. We don't hear a lot about angels today. There's not a lot of sermons preached today in churches about angels sadly to say but angels are a present reality as much as they were in Peter's day this is what the author of Hebrews says about angels in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14 they are they this is a question are they angels not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. In other words, angels are God's special agents. You know, they are God's FBI, you might say, sent by God to minister to us. Some believe, and it could be true, there's a lot of scriptural evidence for it, that every believer has a personal guardian angel who is with him or her all the time. The psalmist says in Psalm 34, verse 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Now, that's a wonderful thought. That angels are all around us, that that angels are at our side to protect us and to provide for us, that is a wonderful thought. But there is one thing that we know for sure. And that is, Jesus is always with us. Jesus is always at our side. Jesus said in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, I will never leave you, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And then in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, Jesus said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What a promise! What a reality no matter the difficulty no matter the situation we might be in god is able to deliver us anytime anywhere any place he still opens prison doors he really does let me ask you what is that impossible situation you're facing you know you, you might be smiling on the outside but on the inside you're hurting You're crying on the inside. Maybe it's some sickness that you're going through or a loved one. Maybe you're growing older and you just can't do the things that you used to do and it bothers you. (laughs) Maybe you have a wayward son or daughter who's far from God and it's just breaking your heart. Maybe it's a broken relationship that's weighing deeply on your heart. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's some besetting sin that that keeps creeping into your life, keeps returning. What is that prison door that has you trapped? What is it? God is able to open that prison door and set you free. What's the great lesson of this story? I believe the great lesson of this story is simply this. The prayers of God's people are a mighty weapon that God uses to change the course of events and people's lives. I believe that's it. Just ordinary people like you and me. Just an ordinary church like our church praying earnestly. And God doing great things. Our story is an example of what God can do when God's people pray. God used the prayers of God's people to change the course of Peter's life. Yes, God answers prayers. He still opens prison doors. You know, Peter was not the only apostle that that understood that truth. That God uses prayers to change lives. The apostle Paul knew the power of prayer as well. In fact, he writes in Philippians chapter 1, verse 19, he says, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Now, remember where Paul is? Paul's in prayer. He's in prison. He's locked up in jail. But he is confident that God is going to use the prayers of the Philippian people, the church there, to bring about his deliverance. But, you know, the question comes to mind. Why did God allow James to be killed and Peter to be delivered? Have you ever thought about that? Why did God allow James to be killed while Peter was delivered? Couldn't God have saved James' life as well? Well, of course he could have. Why didn't he? You know, friends, the only the only answer to that is the sovereign will of God. That's the only answer. That's the only explanation. God has purposes that we just do not understand. His ways are not our ways. When we were in Saluda, a wonderful young college-age girl was driving home from Newberry early one morning. And she was involved in a a horrible auto accident, and she was instantly killed. The whole community grieved. They were devastated. And, you know, people were asking, you know, why did this happen? Why did this happen to her? I mean, she had her young life ahead of her. She was excellent in so many different ways, well-loved and all of this. Why? Why? Did this happen. Just a few years later, our daughter Stephanie was returning home from church one Sunday, and she fell asleep at the wheel, and she crossed the line and ran head-on, head-on into a truck. It, too, was a horrible accident. The lady driving the truck was unharmed. Stephanie suffered a, a punctured lung, and A lot of cuts and lacerations. A few weeks later, the state trooper who was investigating the the accident um, told me that he had pulled many teenagers from cars like that, but never alive. And, you know, we ask ourselves, you know, why was our daughter spared and the other daughter wasn't? Why? Why? The only explanation is, it was all a part of God's sovereign plan. That's it. Was my daughter more special than her? Absolutely not. Was she a better Christian than her? Absolutely not. Was she a better girl than her? Absolutely not. The only explanation is, it was God's sovereign will and plan. Period. It's not for us to know. And that's the way it is with Peter and and James. It was God's sovereign will to take James home and leave Peter. (laughs) Peter's job was not over. James's was. So Peter is set free. What happens next? Well, look at verse 12. When he realizes this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. Now, Peter knows that the church was praying for him, so it's only natural for him to want to go to the prayer meeting and report exactly what took place, and that's exactly what he does. So Peter arrives at church, they're praying. Now, I'm sure that they were praying for different things, probably. Maybe some were praying for Peter to have courage to die well, Uh, Maybe some were praying that he would be a good witness to the soldiers that were guarding him, but most were praying for God to deliver Peter. No doubt about it. And maybe their prayers were something like this. God, you delivered Daniel from the lion's den. You delivered Daniel from the hand of Saul, Sedrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace. Now deliver Peter. Deliver Peter from the hand of Herod. The church was praying fervently, and all of a sudden, there's a knock at the door. It's Peter. Verses 13 and 14, and when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhonda came to answer, recognizing Peter's voice. In her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. So this young girl goes to the door. She recognizes Peter's voice. She is so overcome with joy that it's Peter that, that she runs back to the church praying and even forgets to open the door to let Peter in. And I can just hear her cry, it's Peter, it's Peter, it's Peter. Now the church's reaction is really humorous. There's a lot of There's a lot of comedy here, it really is. The church is praying for God to deliver Peter from prison and death. And and they don't even believe it when God answers. They don't believe it. Verse 15, they said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it's his angel. Their first reaction is, you're just crazy. You're you're out of your mind, girl. Then she kept insisting it was Peter. Peter. And they said, it's his angel. They just brushed her off. What do you mean it's Peter at the door? We're praying for God to set him free. (laughs) There's a lot of humor here. It really is. A lot of humor. The church is praying. And the answer to their prayers is standing at the door just a few feet away. And they don't have enough faith to open the door and let him in. Oh, it's easy to point. To point and blame this church, but it sounds a lot like our prayers. We pray, but do we really believe God's going to answer? Now, God's answer is not only always yes. Sometimes it's no and sometimes it's wait. But do we really believe God is going to answer? Do we really believe that God still opens prison doors? Do we really believe that God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we could ask or think? What are you trusting God to do? What are you trusting God to do? Are you trusting Him to open the prison door in your life, whatever it is, and set you free? You know, there was a little chorus that we used to sing in Bible college. Nothing is impossible when you put your trust in God. Nothing is impossible when you're trusting in His Word. Hearken to the voice of God to thee. Is there anything too hard for me? Then put your trust in God alone and rest upon His Word. For everything, oh everything, yes everything, is possible with God. Talking about impossibilities, the man who wrote those words was paralyzed from the neck down. And he could only write with a pen in his teeth. What's your impossibility? There's good news. God still opens prison doors. He really does. Well, finally, they let Peter in. Praise the Lord. Verses 16 and 17. But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hands to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James. That's the other James. That's the brother of Jesus. Tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went into another place. First thing Peter does is he shares how the Lord delivered him out of prison and set him free. Listen, when the Lord sets you free, you can't help but share it with others. And folks, we have a message to share. It's called the Gospel. It's called the gospel. And it's simply this. Once we were Satan's prisoner, all of us were, in bondage to sin, without God, without hope in the world, but God made a way for us to be set free from the penalty of sin, which is eternal separation from God for all eternity. God sent us a rescuer. (laughs) He sent us a Redeemer. He sent us a Savior. And His name is Jesus. And He came. And He lived a perfect life. God Himself. And He died on a cross in payment for our sins. You see, on that cross, Jesus paid the full penalty for all sin for all time. And the third day, He rose again from the dead. And the Bible says the very moment, the very moment we put our trust and our faith in Jesus as our only Savior, the prison doors are open wide and we're set free. And we're forgiven. Have you done that? Have you done that? Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone? If you haven't, you can do it now. You can do it now. If you have, you have a story to tell. It's a simple story. What Jesus did for me, he can do for you. It's as simple as that. What Jesus has done for me, He died on the cross for my sins. He rose again. I put my trust in him. He has forgiven me. And what he has done for me, he can do for you. See, we have a story to tell. Peter couldn't couldn't wait to tell that story. Let's leave here today and tell that story.